This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. You guys can go ahead and grab a seat. Wouldn't you know the extra hour of sleep threw me off? Man, I can't believe it. I'm used to having little kids up at 4.30, so I don't know what to do with myself. The mic's not on. And that was my fault, by the way. I still praise the sound guys like I did last week, if you were here. Uh, Hey, my name's Kevin, and if we haven't met yet, I'm just so glad you're here. I'm one of the pastors. It's my privilege this morning to share a little bit from God's Word with you. A couple of things you're going to want. You're going to want the teaching notes that are in your program, and you're going to want your Connect card. So go ahead and pull those out now. Uh, You can take those notes so you don't forget the things that you're learning. And we're going to have some ways for you to respond today on your Connect card. So you're going to want to use both of those. Some of you are staring at me because you realize that I shaved my beard, and it's true. It was six weeks of my beard, and I... Now, you don't need to clap about that, but you can. All right, that's fine. I can take it. Uh, it happened the way it always happens for me. It was Friday morning. I woke up, and I thought, you know what? I'm done having a beard. So I got my razor, and I began to shave, and then I, I realized, you know, my dad has always had a mustache for as long as I've known him. He shaved it one time in 30 years. I wonder what I would look like with a mustache. And so I shaved everything but my mustache. I think we have a picture of it up on the screen. And uh, for two days, <laughs> yes. Yes, for two days I kept that mustache, by the way. I just shaved it late last night. Uh, And that picture actually proves uh, that there is such a thing as unconditional love, and my wife has it for me, because she let me sleep in bed with her looking like that. So we can take that down now. That'd be fine. We can take that down. I don't want that going on Facebook, so make sure we get that out of there. If you have not caught this about me yet, I, I don't take myself too seriously. I think life is too short to take ourselves too seriously, and we miss out on all the fun. I said you can take that picture down, by the way. Uh, we, uh, we miss out on the fun of life when we take ourselves too seriously. But you know, there's one thing I do take very seriously. I take God very seriously, and I take his word very seriously. And that's why as a church, we're going through this New Testament challenge together, because God says in the Bible, in his word, We find him. He reveals himself to us. We encounter him, and we learn what it means to follow him and have an incredible life. And so this morning, we're going to dive into his word. We've been journeying together on some topics of the New Testament. Last week, we talked about what it means to be a servant, that servanthood is actually the place where we encounter uh, Jesus in incredible ways, and we become more like him. Because our goal in life is not just to be knowers of God, but to be followers of God. People who know and do the things of God, who become more like Jesus. And so last week we talked about the fact that a servant does three things. They know who they serve. A servant serves with a glad heart, with a happy heart. And a servant plants seeds of love and kindness every day. Those are three key actions of a servant. And if you really want to have a life of impact, a life that matters, a life that that lasts beyond yourself, we said you need to serve because that's where our destiny is created. That's where we have a life that goes beyond ourselves. And this morning we're talking about generosity because I would say that in order to have a lifestyle of service, the action of service, we need to have the foundation of generosity. We need to be generous people because we cannot follow God into service if we don't have at our foundation, at our core, generosity. And I want to do a little thought experiment because I have a feeling that when we hear the word generosity, we think of certain things. So I want you just to take 10 seconds to yourself. And when you hear the word generosity, when you find out that we're preaching on generosity, just think to yourself, I'm not going to make you like tell your neighbor or anything. Think to yourself, what does that bring up for you? Is it a positive association, a negative association? Is it neutral? What kind of things come up? Take 10 seconds. When you hear that we're talking about generosity, what does it bring up for you? 
What I'd like you to do this morning is keep that at the forefront of your mind. Because we all have these ideas, these pictures, these images in the back of our head. And whenever we hear things, they're going through these filters, these lenses that we don't always even know are there, especially when we come to topics like generosity. So what I want you to do is keep it at the forefront of your mind, but allow God, through his word, through his scripture, and through his Holy Spirit speaking into your life, to shape that if he wants to, to mold it, to guide you into it. Give him the space to work in your life. In Acts, we see one of the few places outside of the Gospels where Jesus' words are recorded, where we see him teaching or preaching. And it says this in Acts chapter 20, verse 35. Remember the words of our Lord Jesus Christ. He himself said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. And the inference there is that we're actually blessed when we receive. We have Christmas coming up, and, and we love to, to give gifts, but isn't it nice to receive a gift sometimes? It lets you know that people care about you, that they love you, that they thought about you, and that they wanted to do something for you. It's, we're blessed when we receive. We're blessed because we know that there are people who care, and that's a good thing. But according to Jesus, you are more blessed if you give, if you are generous, than you are if you receive And that word more in the original language means that it's like a a far greater, surpassing, deeper, more overwhelming sense of being better. It's like saying, uh, not like I have one apple and you have two apples, so you have more apples than I do. It's like saying I have one apple and you have one million apples. That's how many more apples you have than me. That's how much more blessed it is to give than to receive. And in the original language, that word blessed means supremely happy. An overarching sense of contentment, of blessing, of connectedness to God. So he says, you will be supremely, more deeply, more, uh, more passionately and powerfully connected to God. Have this supreme happiness, this blessing. If you give, then you will if you receive. And the question is not, is that true? The question is, do we believe that that promise is true? Because Jesus said it, and we know it's true. He said it, that settles it, whether we believe it or not. The question is, do we actually believe that it is more blessed to give than to receive? Because I would say that it's only through a life marked by generosity that you can have the more blessed life that God promises for you. If you want to encounter God in deep ways, if you want him to to be your foundation, to have this this uh, amazing relationship with him where you know he's real, where, where God is more than just a word that you say on Sunday morning. Jesus is just a, a name that you pray to at dinner. If you want a relationship that's real, if you want to experience purpose in your life and passion in your life, a life that goes beyond yourself, if you want to experience healing and wholeness, it comes by having a life with a foundation of generosity. So we need to ask ourselves this morning, If God wants us to have the more blessed life, do we want to settle for just a blessed life? Because you can have a blessed life. It's blessed to receive things. It's blessed to know that people care about you. But the question is, do you want to have a blessed life? Or do you want to have an exceedingly overwhelming, passionate, more blessed life? That's the question that God lays out for us this morning. He says you'll be blessed if you are generous. You'll be blessed if you give, as opposed to being stingy or selfish, or self-absorbed, or materialistic. Those things just leave us um, bitter, and uh, paranoid, and worried, and alone. But the blessed life, the more blessed life, comes from giving ourselves away. So I want to talk about three areas in the New Testament where God wants us to be generous so that we can have the more blessed life. And we're going to spend this morning looking at these three areas. The first area is God uh, says that generous people are marked by being generous with our time. 
And friends, time is our most important commodity. What are we going to do with our time? Because once your time is up, it does not matter if you're generous with the other things in life. Once your time on this earth is up, you're done. We have 24 hours a day. That's 86,400 seconds. And the question is, what am I going to do with my time today? Rick Warren says there are three things we can do with our time. Uh, We can waste our time. And that's doing things just like watching TV that doesn't matter. Friday nights, I generally have wasted my time this month because I got this kick where I want to go on the show Wipeout on True TV. Have you seen the show Wipeout? I'm on this kick. I want to go and I want to win the $10,000 because if those guys can do it, I know I can do it. So I've been watching Wipeout to get tips on how I can beat this show. Basically, if you haven't seen it, they just do these obstacle courses and they hurt themselves and the commentators make fun of them. That's the whole show. But by the end of it, I find myself tensed up. Like by the time the last person's running the obstacle course, I'm just saying, you got to do this. Come on. You know there's soap there. Don't jump right there. Jump over here. And I get all tensed up. And and the truth of it is, I am wasting my time. I am. I get to the end of the two hours, and I I can't have that time back. That's just gone. There's no redeeming quality. We can waste our time, or we can spend our time. That's another thing we can do with our time. And these are the good things that need to get done. Spending our time is things like work. It's a good thing that needs to be done, or chores, uh, or, um, you know, just getting the household things done. This is spending our time. And we all have a certain amount of time that we have to spend things that need to get done. But by far the best thing we can do with our time is we can invest our time. We could waste it, we could spend it, or we could invest it in other people. And I want to tell you, being generous with our time means investing our time in other people. And one way that you can decide or you can start to figure out, am I investing my time, is when you wake up in the morning, have this be your first prayer of the morning, God, what is the best use of my time today? Not what's a good use, not how could I spend my time, or wow, it's the weekend, I really want to waste my time. God, what is the best use of my time today? How can I invest my time in the lives of other people? If you're joining us through this New Testament challenge, and I know that most of you are, tomorrow we're going to hit a story in the book of Luke called The Story of the Good Samaritan. It comes from Luke chapter 10, chapter 10 and it's about a man who invests his time. And it says this in verse 30. Jesus replied to the people, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers, and they stripped him of his clothes. They beat him and went away, leaving him half dead and naked. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side of the road, because priests weren't allowed to touch people who were ceremonially unclean, who were bleeding, who were hurting. They weren't allowed to go over and care for them. Verse 32, in the same way, a Levite when he came to that place and saw the man passed by on the other side and left the man there naked and bleeding and dying. And see, the Levites had even stricter rules than the priests did about who they could and could not touch, who they could and could not associate with. And what happens is the priest and the Levites see this man and they say, he is not worth my time. Have you ever made that split decision? That person is not worth my time. My time is more valuable than that person is. See, when I read this story, I initially start to think, man, the priest and the Levite, they were missing it. They're jerks. They don't care about people. But we do this on a regular basis, don't we? We see someone walking towards us that we don't really want to talk to. Maybe it's someone at church. Maybe it's our boss or our coworker. So we duck into our cubicle or we get into another conversation or we pretend like we're praying or worshiping or something. 
Uh, so we don't have to invest our time in that person because what we're saying is, you're not worth my time. And so we do that. I even see people, and, and I, I'm not meaning to throw stones, but I see people who get up during the last worship song and miss out on worshiping God in order to get out of church before all the other people get there because we don't want to invest our time. Our time is more important than the people that I would have to interact with after church. So we get up during the last song and we miss out on worshiping our Creator because our time is so valuable to us and we don't want to invest it. Verse 33, but a Samaritan was traveling by and the Jews hated the Samaritans. They thought the Samaritans were less than them, were not as good as them. A Samaritan, he traveled by and he saw the man and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He said, you are worth my time. And he went to him and he bandaged him and he poured oil and wine on him. And then he, he put the man on his own donkey and brought him to the inn and took care of him. The next day, he took out two days' wages, two denarii, and he gave them to the innkeeper and said, Look after him. When I return, I will reimburse you for the extra expense. Jesus says, Which of these three men was the neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? And the expert of the law that he was talking to at that time said, The one who had mercy on him. And Jesus says, Go and do likewise. Jesus says that you and I need to be like the Good Samaritan who invests our time in people. I believe God's great desire is that we would love people enough, that we would see them with the enough intrinsic value that we would say, you are worth my time. You're worth part of my 24 hours today. I want to invest in you. And, and I got to tell you, of the three areas that I'm talking about today, and, and uh, this may shock some of you, of the three areas I'm talking about today, this one is the hardest one for me. The other two I actually, I think I do pretty good at, and, and I I kind of feel like Paul, where Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. I think I can say to you with the other two, follow me as I follow Jesus in these areas. This one is hard for me. This is where I follow Ron as he follows Christ, because Ron is really good at investing his time in people. But I always feel like I have things to do. Are you like that? Are you a type A personality? There's more stuff to do today than there is time to do it. And so I find myself, even on Sunday morning, running around, trying to make sure we're, the music's starting at the right time, or the team's praying over in the right corner, or the kids' ministry is all ready to go. And I run past people, and God's been convicting me this week, slow down, Kevin. People are the most important commodity, and your time is valuable to them, not to the things you can get done. I really think that God is calling us to be generous with our time, to say, I think that you are worth my five-minute conversation. I think that you are worth the half hour that I would spend serving you. See, this is where service has to have at its foundation generosity because if we're not generous with our time, we will never serve other people. So God says, be generous with your time. And then God wants us to be generous with our talents. That's the second thing. Do you know how incredible you are? And I don't say that lightly. Do you realize how amazing you are? You are one of a kind. You were created in the image of God and there has never been anyone exactly like you. There will never be anyone exactly like you for as long as the world exists, as long as people come into being, there will never be someone exactly like you. I am the closest that you can come to having someone exactly like you. I have an identical twin brother. So I'm the closest that anyone could possibly come to having someone else exactly like them. And even my brother and I are not the same. We are created uniquely by God. You were created uniquely by God with gifts, with passions, and with talents that God wants you to be generous with. Because the truth is, if you do not invest your talents, your gifts, your passions into other people, the world misses out. 
There is no one exactly like you. And if you are holding on to your talents, if you're holding on to your passions, if you're holding on to your gifts, we are suffering for it. You are too incredible to not be generous with your talent. Ephesians chapter 2 says, We are God's handiwork. We were created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Earlier in Ephesians, Paul lays out the idea that we were saved by God's grace through our faith in Jesus Christ, not by works. We are not saved by the things we do, but he goes on to say you were created to be in a relationship with God and do good works. So it's both sides of the coin. We were saved by the grace of God through faith in Jesus, but we were saved for good works, which he prepared in advance for us to do. God wants us to use our talent, to be generous with our talents. You might be sitting here thinking, I don't know what my passions are. I I don't know what my talents are. I don't know how to use my gifts, Kevin. This is very ethereal to me. I want to give you two ideas. Uh, One of them is to read the book Shape by Eric Nies. You can write that down in your notes. Just, just, uh, you can look on Amazon and look up Shape. It talks all about using your time or using your talents, using your past history, your passions to serve God's people. Uh, We actually will probably have a life group coming up this spring based around that book. I've read it before and it's really good. And I would encourage you, read that if you don't know. But the other thing you can do today is just get involved in a ministry at the church. And here's why I say that. The church is one of the few places where you can try something out and if you fail, you will not get looked down on for it. If you went out into the world and said, I want to try to use my talents, I'm going to try to get a job to do this, and you failed at it, you'd get fired and you'd get looked down on. In the church, you can try out your passions and your gifts, and your talents, and we will not look down on you. We'll make a place for you. That's why the church is such a great place to begin investing our talents. And we do it because God says that we should use our gifts and our talents to build up other Christians. It's a call. If we're sitting on the sidelines not using it, we are withholding what God has given us from the community, and it breaks God's heart. And then the third area that God says to invest in, he says, be generous with your time. See people as worthy of your time and give it to them freely. Be generous with your talents. Figure out what your passions and your abilities and your gifts are and then use them. And be be generous with your treasure or with your money. And this is where the rubber hits the road for a lot of us, isn't it? In fact, show of hands. I said I wouldn't make you talk to your neighbor, but I didn't say I wouldn't make you raise your hand. Show of hands. When I said we're having a sermon on uh, on generosity, how many of you had money somewhere in your mind? Just somewhere. Yeah, look around. It's okay. That's fine. That's good. This is where the rubber hits the road for us because Jesus says a lot about our money and he says it in very countercultural ways. And so when you hear that, maybe that was a really freeing thing. You thought, oh, thank goodness. I finally get to hear a sermon where they talk about my money. That just really makes me happy. I'm excited about that. (laughs) But I'm guessing a few of you, just a few, one or two, probably tensed up a little bit. Oh man, I brought a friend and they're talking about money. Or, oh man, I brought myself, and they're talking about money. (laughs) Man, I want to tell you, in the context of the more blessed life, Jesus says it is more blessed to give than to receive. And Jesus talks about money more than he talks about time and more than he talks about talent. In fact, Jesus talks about your money more than almost any other topic in the New Testament. You cannot have an honest reading of the New Testament without seeing Jesus over and over and over again talking about your money because he knows where your money is, your heart will follow. 
one of the great tragedies I see in the church is people come to church, maybe it's for six months, maybe it's for a year, maybe it's for five years. They hear the things of God. They hear the pastors preach and they hear us sing about the things of God, but they never actually act on the things of God. And then tragedy strikes and they feel like God has failed me. Have you ever heard that before? I gave church a chance, but God failed me or the church failed me. I want to be as honest as I can. If we do not put the things of God into practice, God did not fail you. You failed God. And, and I, I don't mean any disrespect by that. And it breaks my heart when I see someone leave the church and they say, you know what? God did not meet me in this place. Because God promises when we come here ready to encounter him, he will encounter us. We will meet him. So the question becomes, am I actually doing the things of God? Am I allowing God to define and direct my journey in all areas of life, including my finances? Notice what Jesus has to say about money in Matthew chapter 6. Do not store up for yourself treasures on earth where moths eat and vermin destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourself treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, your heart will be there also. Verse 22, the eye is the lamp of the body. If the eye is healthy, the whole body is full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body is full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now, I got to tell you, I'm actually going to make it a lot softer than Jesus ever talks about it. Because if I got up here and I just said, you cannot serve both God and money, I don't know how many of us would come back. But I tell you, the ones who came back would be on fire for God and ready to serve him. So that might be a good thing. But Jesus is hard-hitting when it comes to this kind of stuff because he wants us to be generous with our money on earth because when we do, we store up for ourselves treasures in heaven. Did you notice that he put this weird little story about a body right in the middle of that? He talks about money here, and then he talks about the body and the eye and light, and then he talks about money at the bottom. When Jesus uses uh, that word healthy, he says, if the eye is healthy, the whole body is full of light. That word healthy literally means generous. If your eye is generous... If you see things through a generosity lens, and remember, he's talking about money. So if you see the world uh, not as, not people as something that you can use to serve your money, but use money as something you can use to serve your people, then your whole body will be full of light. That's a way of saying you'll be full of God. God will be working in your life. If your eye is generous, if you see things, if you see your money through a generosity lens, your whole body's full of light. But if your eye is stingy, if it's unhealthy, how great is the darkness within you. Jesus ends by saying we cannot serve both God and money. He gives you a choice and he gives me a choice. And I got to tell you, I turn the mirror towards myself too. Am I going to follow God with my money and be generous with it? Or am I going to serve my money and reject God? Those are the two options here. He does not give us middle ground. So let's talk about what generosity is and what generosity is not when it comes to our finances. Because I think this is where we miss out a lot. We don't really get into it. And God's been convicting me more and more as your pastor. Get into the word with these people. Let them see what I have to say and let them choose. And so I want to let you choose today. 
In Matthew 23, 23, Jesus is talking to religious leaders about their finances and generosity, and he says this, woe to you. And anytime we see Jesus say woe to you, we should be thinking, watch out. Do not be like this. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees. You are hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, your mint, your dill, your cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. So Jesus is talking about two things here. He's talking about the tithe, giving a 10%. And then he's talking about the weightier issues, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. And he says, you should have done the first without neglecting the second. And I, I want to be really clear. The tithe is simply bringing back the first 10% of our income to the place where we see God working in people's lives, including our own. For these guys, it was the temple. For many of us, it's the church where we see God working in people's lives. He says, bring the first percent, 10% of your income back to me. Not the first 5%, not the first 8%, not the first 3%, the first 10% of your income back to me. And some of you are sitting here thinking, Kevin, that is too generous. I cannot be that generous towards God. 10% is way too much. I could never be that generous. I'm a generous person. maybe, but no way, not 10%. I'm going to say something right now that might just blow your mind. So talk to Ron in the hallway afterwards. He'll be happy to answer your questions. Um, Biblically speaking, tithing is not generosity. Biblically speaking, tithing is not generosity. It is simply what God commands followers of him to do. It is the baseline that opens the door for us to be generous beyond that. Matthew 23, Jesus says, you should have done the former. You should tithe without neglecting the generosity of giving, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You might uh, be thinking, well, that's strong, but I want to say this to you. You would never come to me, husbands, you would never come to me and say, Kevin, I got to tell you, I'm being really generous with my wife right now by not uh, having an affair. I'm just being really generous with her. I'm being generous towards God by not having an affair. Of course you wouldn't say that. What you're doing is you're simply being faithful to your commitment to your wife by honoring God's command to not have an affair, right? You're not being generous to anybody. You're simply doing what God tells you to do. In the same way, we can't say I'm being generous towards God by tithing. We are simply doing what God commands us to do. Does that make sense? I know. He says it harsh. It's, it's written down here. It's not me. I'm just telling you what Jesus said. He wrote it. I'm just reading it, okay? <laughs> Maybe you're thinking, I am, I'm so upside down in my finances right now. I love what you're saying. I agree with you. I'll even shout an amen here and there. But I cannot do that right now. I can't afford to be generous with my finances. And I want to tell you, if you're upside down right now, you cannot afford not to give back to God his tithe. And and God's really convicted me of this. If you want God to bless an area of your life, give him control in that area and watch him bless you. Do not withhold from him that area of your life and expect his blessing. You cannot say to God, God bless me in this area. At the same time, sin against God by not doing what he commands you to do. It is not possible. God will not bless that. But the Bible is very clear. God will bless you if you do what he says to do. 
Next year, we're going to start a series in the beginning of the year that's all about handling our finances in a biblical way. We're not talking about tithing. We're talking about debt reduction. We're talking about saving. We're talking about getting our finances right. And that will help us as a church. I know it will, and I'm so excited about it. We're starting the year off with that so that when you get done with Christmas, we have somewhere to go. We have some hope for you afterwards. I want to tell you, if you want that series to go better for you, set a budget for Christmas, and then you'll feel a lot better coming into that series in January. But the heart of it, the the heart of the issue is, will I follow God by giving him my tithe today? Not when things seem perfect, because they never will be, potentially, if you wait. Will I follow him today? Will I honor him today? Ron talked to us a few weeks ago and said that our church is in pretty sad financial shape, pretty sorry. And I want to say a couple of things. One, ever since he said that, we knew two things. One of two things would happen. Either one, uh, everybody would just leave, and I'd be preaching to five of us. And we knew that could happen. We, but we knew we had to get God's house back in financial order. Um, or two, we would stay and we would get honoring to God with our finances, and we would fix the problem. And I want to tell you, I am so proud of us that I can say for the last two months, our giving has been higher than it has before that. You are responding to God. You stuck around because you see God moving in your life. The Holy Spirit called us to be here. And we're beginning to honor God with our finances. But I want you to imagine with me for a minute if all of us got faithful by giving God his 10%. Our church would not be in bad financial shape, but not only that, we would be able to have acts of compassion and outreach and evangelism in our community and around the world like never before. Right now, we're just trying to maintain. We would be able to thrive. We would be able to reach out. We would be able to do things for people who are hurting in our community that we just cannot do because we as a church are not faithful. I want to call us to biblical, biblical standards by tithing and then being generous. So what is generosity? Well, the Bible says generosity is going beyond that 10%. It's, it's caring for, uh, for ministries and organizations that are serving and caring and meeting the needs of people in incredible ways. It's, it's supporting overseas missionaries and stateside missionaries. It is uh, doing acts of compassion in the community. It's above and beyond that first 10%. That is biblical generosity. And Jesus says, I want you to go above and beyond the 10% to be biblical with your generosity, time, talent, treasure. And I want to tell you, you can do this. I'm a store, I'm a testimony to it. Maria and I uh, make less than the average household income in Petaluma. And uh, we have two kids and we have a dog. And we, uh, by God's grace, on Wednesday, we will pay off our last school loan and be completely debt-free, which is awesome, at 30, which we're very excited about. But through that whole process, we have given uh, roughly 15% of our income away each month as we were reducing debt, as we were having kids, as we were going up and down with jobs, trying to figure out where we would be. God has blessed us, and he has met all of our needs. Not always all of our wants. I still don't have a flat panel TV, you know? We still don't drive an SUV. We don't have a—I'd love to have a trailer or a boat. But you guys have trailers and boats, and I'm just going to use them. You can pay the the mortgage on that, and I'll just go use it. That'll be fantastic. It can be done, okay? It can be done if we honor God. If you want God to bless your finances, I want to challenge you. Be faithful in the tithe and begin to be generous with your offerings and watch God bless you. I want to give us some ways that we can be generous this Christmas season. I don't know if you noticed out in the lobby, we turned our activities hub into the season of giving hub. Did you see that outside in the lobby? 
It's that big thing. Okay, season of giving is a way that we are taking a ton of ministries, of organizations that we want to partner with and support this Christmas season and putting them in one spot so that you can uh, go above and beyond and be generous this Christmas season to people outside of our families. I want to highlight those for you a little bit. The first is uh, our Mexico missions trip is going to an orphanage this year that we've served at for the last number of years, and we're trying to raise funds for that. So uh, I don't know if you guys know who Dr. Toffee is. He's pretty incredible. He makes toffee, and it's delicious, and he's part of our church, and he is making toffee that he's selling for us, and the proceeds, part of them, are going to go towards helping support this Mexico missions trip. Uh, another thing that you're going to find out at that kiosk is uh, we, do, we work with other churches in the area to do a uh, food pantry on Tuesdays. And we take the fifth Tuesday of the year. And it'd be great if we could do more, but right now that's what we can do. So five Tuesdays a year, we go and we serve food to people who don't otherwise have food to eat. And that toffee, part of those toffee sales are going to go towards getting the money so we can buy the food for those people. Also, you can bring small bags of rice and you can drop them off to help offset the cost over the season of giving area. Our, Mex- our India team went to India this last summer and they fell in love with some kids at an orphanage and they found out the kids at the orphanage don't have clean sheets to sleep on. They're experiencing love, some of them for the first time, but they still don't have clean sheets. And we want to get them clean sheets. And so we're trying to, to raise the money through the toffee sales uh, to get 50 sets of sheets for these kids so they have a clean place to sleep at night. Next week is something I'm really excited about. I'm really excited about all these things. Next week, uh, we're doing our annual turkey party, uh, where a new lifer sets up this great party for us. We bring turkeys, one, two, five, ten turkeys. Uh, and all the turkeys go, and they're donated to Redwood Gospel Mission, and they're given to families in need around our community. And it's just a great thing. So opera- uh, Chris- the turkey party is going to be out there. There's also Operation Christmas Childs, getting Christmas gifts to 86 million kids. You can get a shoebox and make something like that happen. And for those of you who have a sweet tooth like me, uh, our student ministries is going to be doing a donut sale for the next three weeks right in there somewhere to raise money for student ministries. So it's all at the Season of Giving Hub. These are all ways to go above and beyond in generosity in our giving. They're incredible ministries, and they're going to be highlighted various weeks. So you want to stop by there after church. You want to stop by the Season of Giving Hub. You want to get the information there. It's going to be incredible. So how can we put this into practice? Well, pull out those Connect cards. I want to give you a few ways to put this into practice. And uh, the first one is this. I want to practice generosity with my time and my talent by serving in a ministry. And this is for you if you're not serving in ministry yet. I said last week, if you're not serving in ministry, you're on the sidelines, and God doesn't want you on the sidelines. He wants you in the game. So if you're not serving in ministry, uh, on that Connect card, it says ways to apply the sermon. Mark, I want to serve in ministry, and then look right above that, and there's a whole list of ministries you can get involved in. You can pick one of those. I want to encourage you to do that. Another thing that I want to encourage everyone to do is I will begin to be faithful to God by committing to tithe this month, and I will tithe from here on out. Give that first 10% back to God. If I'm going to be in debt to someone, I'm not going to be in debt to God. I'll be in debt to somebody else, but I want to honor God with my tithe. Uh, There's a church in Texas, and their pastor said to them, hey, uh, if you give a tithe for a year, and you do not experience God's blessing in your life, at the end of that year, at the end of that year, I'll give you your whole tithe back. And I haven't talked to Ron about this because he's been on vacation for the last few weeks, but I I want to make that same commitment to you. Begin tithing now, and at the end of the year, if you uh, have not experienced God's blessing in your life, that church in Texas will give you your tithe back. So uh, I just want to be real clear about that. They'll be happy to do that for you. Seriously, you guys, let's be one of the few churches in America that honors God with our tithe. Let's be one of the few churches that can say every person here honors God 
Let's watch God move. And then the last one is, I will practice generosity with my treasure by partnering with at least one season of giving opportunity. Just one, at least one way to go above and beyond in our generosity this year. I want to encourage us to do that because it's as we follow God that we experience his blessing in our life. Would you join me as we pray? Holy Spirit, I pray for my friends here who came in and uh, maybe they, they felt heavy today or there was a lot going on. I pray that you would bring comfort in their life, that you would be the great comforter that you promised to be. I pray for those of us in this room who have become comfortable with the status quo, uh, comfortable with not, not fully surrendering ourselves to you, that you would convict us of that and bring us to a place of, of holy discomfort, of holy discontent that draws us into your presence. And I pray for courage, Lord to be the people that you call us to be, to be generous with our time, to be generous with our talent, to be generous with our treasure, to begin by being faithful in those areas and then go above and beyond to a place of generosity, to a place of impact. Because God, we want to experience the more blessed life that you promise. And so we want to take you at your word, Lord, and we're going to do that today. Would you meet us as we do? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information, at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.